Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, some may say that television is not serving up the audiences like it used to, but with us today is a couple of big brand marketers who beg to differ. We're just off the back of the Australian Open and with us today, four people who know more than most about how all this comes together. Matt Granger, Director of Sales for Sport at Nine, Liana Dubois from Nine's Director of Powered, Georgie Jeffries, Head of Marketing at Uber Eats, and Dean Norbiato, General Manager of Marketing at Kia. Both these brands have been neck deep in the Australian Open and broadcast sponsorships in January. We're about to get some insight on what worked and what didn't. First to you, Matt. Give us the top line on how you saw the Australian Open play out this year. It's your second year, right? Yeah, no, we were really, really happy. Uh, I mean, we've seen double-digit audience growth across our broadcast. We've seen up to 70% growth across Nine Now and across our all our digital assets. So from an audience point of view, it's been fantastic. But I think for us, what we embarked on really was extending uh, our asset base to our partners, particularly around our digital assets, but also into our publishing assets, into pedestrian and car advice. And that strategy, I think, to give our, our partners a platform to basically customise their solution has been really successful. And I think, you know, obviously with Dean in the room, Kia has been one of those who are able to, you know, activate and access those assets to deliver their objectives. You talk, Matt, about this evolving partnership model that you're working on at Nine. What does that look like? I think for us, it's more about how, again, everyone uses the term partnership. For us, it's really how we actually understand what our clients' objectives are. And the process we have in place really is about deep diving to understand that element, as well as then connecting the right parts of our business to be able to deliver upon those objectives. And that's critical to the success I think we've seen off the back of this uh, recent Australian Open and broadly the summer of tennis. Broadly, the appetite from brands and marketers to play this way, Matt, are you seeing much change there? I think it's just gone up another level. I think last year we saw a big step. This was just another, I think, a double down, to be honest with you, based on the way brands contextualise their strategy and solution around the environment and to leverage our assets to deliver a unique cut through. And I think that's been probably, you know, the most exciting thing. And we're seeing that extend through our other sporting assets as well as through our other, you know, tentpole assets across nine. Liana, you, you are big on the effectiveness uh, bandwagon and it seems that those results are coming through with, with the portfolio of, of clients you're working with. Just give us a sense on how, how you're defining effectiveness and how it's working for brands. Yeah, sure thing. So effectiveness is proof that the investment that you are making into your marketing, your advertising and your media is actually delivering you return on that investment so that you are fundamentally selling more product as a result of what you're doing in your marketing and your advertising space. We are seeing some really extraordinary results. Peters is a really great example who aren't here with us today, but Peters have, you know, been a partner of the Australian Open for a couple of years now. Last year in particular, did a lot of work with Powered as they have again in this season where we've brought it back to the art of creativity and really making the creative that was produced in-house by Powered Studios stand on its own two feet and work in a more high impact, high reach environment to deliver a return for them that cashed out at about $2.98 compared to the well-recognised Think TV Payback Australia study that in the FMCG category is about $1.59 payback for every dollar spent. 
So, you know, the, the power of sponsorship in high-reach environments like sport generally and the AO specifically is really powerful and, and obviously Uber and, and Kia are really testament to that. Well, they're great two extremes of the spectrum, right? You've got a young player in Uber Eats and, and Kia, which I discovered earlier from Dean, has been with the Australian Open for 19 years, which is quite extraordinary. We'll go to the, the upstart first. And, Georgie, you came out of the box, so to speak, last year with a renowned and acclaimed effort with the Australian Open with your Uber Eats campaign and activation. And Liana talks about creative uh, and it being really important. This was, a, this was a really, really great example, wasn't it, uh, in 2019 of what can be done when you do something differently. How difficult was it to get to that? It was a fairly hectic lead up to, to your opening gambit with this, wasn't it? Yeah, the timelines were exceptionally short. I think from when we pitched the idea to Channel 9 and Tennis Australia to when we actually got to market in the first week was about six weeks. So to give you a bit of insight, a normal Tonight I'll Be Eating ad that we run from negotiating and selecting talent, building the scripts, appointing a director, filming, getting it into market and editing is about two months for one ad. Last year we did 11 ads in three weeks. Right. Look, I think it's interesting, you know, we're seeing it in in the US at the moment too, right, where a lot of the startups and direct-to-consumer companies and technology companies are investing in some of those legacy mediums, if we, if we can call it that. And Uber Eats has done that in Australia from 2019 with the Australian Open. What was it about the tennis that got a direct-to-consumer startup interested in television and a sponsorship in tennis? Mm. Well, TV has actually always been a part of our media mix since we've launched in Australia. But I think the point about the Australian Open in particular was when we looked at the suite of assets that were available to us, um, what really stood out was that the Australian Open really only f- really feels like one of the only major big TV events of the year that's left remaining. And what I mean by that is that there's millions of households that, it, that at any one time are all sitting around the same TV watching the same program. And the insight for us that really led the work was considering just the power and the influence of a property like the Australian Open and that it's one of the only remaining ones. No brands were actually leveraging it for Super Bowl-style advertising. Advertising that gets people talking, advertising that entertains first and foremost and actually draws people in and is as entertaining as the program they're watching themselves. And we really felt that that was a way that we could, a role that we could play within the actual sponsorship and we could drive value and add value there. Yeah. And so in that instance, your opening gambit last year did exactly that. Everyone was talking about even me. Quite extraordinary, really. So, Dean, that's the Uber Eats. We'll come back to some creative conversation in a second. But, Dean, you were talking earlier about Kia being with the Australian Open for 19 years. Um, That's something that I had completely missed. It's a long-term, really long-term play. Why are you still there? And I think you've you've kind of shaken it up in recent years as well, though, and what you were doing. Tell us a little bit about Kia and, and what you've been doing. Yeah, I mean, two decades is a long time to be in partnership with any brand. When you look at the churn rate is a year and a half in most sponsorships. So for us to be there for the long term is, I guess, fundamental to our strategy. Globally, we're partnered um, in other markets with the NBA, um, with uh, with FIFA. So we do have some broad, big pillar partnerships. Um, however, it was probably the last five years that we've essentially woken up at a domestic level. So it is a global partnership that is global benefits just due to the eyeballs that go uh, around the world. But from a local standpoint, we had a, a, a change in management about five years ago. We got a new COO who had a, a real focus uh, on building that brand at a local level. Um, and he saw the value in the biggest sporting event in the world that happens in our backyard in January. So I think for the last five years, we've had a step increase 
every year in terms of how we leverage this asset and how we bring it to life. And I think 2020 was uh, the culmination of a lot of hard work from the team. We've got a fantastic team and agency that sits behind us and partner uh, with Nine to bring that to life. So to be honest, it has been almost two decades. Um, 20 years will be next year with the Australian Open. So look, it's a very important one for us, but one that we've only just to be perfectly frank, started to really uncover the benefit of it and the clear air that we get at the start of the year. Just unpack, Dean, a little bit about what you're doing differently now to what you were previously in your activations and your involvement with the AO, with Australian Open. Yeah, my background is in uh, strategy and sponsorship. And I think uh, as a whole, we probably undervalue sponsorship in this market, to be honest. I think it's very easy to slap a logo and walk away. Uh, We're actually, when you get underneath the skin, the amount of opportunity that sits within it is significant. For instance, with the Australian Open, We took out a partnership, which was a a world first um, with Uber, um, where we offered fans a free ride in the Kia fan fleet in our new Seltos. We had an activation that stuck out like a sore thumb on Grand Slam Oval that you just couldn't miss. And it had a huge play around brand perception. And as marketers and as a unit, we're not shying away that we have a challenge. Our biggest issue is perceived versus actual perception. If we can get bums in seats, that's the shortest bridge for us to close. And we need to make maximum impact. So uh, our partnership with Channel 9, being able to reach a maximum audience and actually do that um, across multiple touch points. We had car advice, which is obviously under the Nine umbrella. That was really important to then, in a tennis environment, talk to in-market auto intenders. Uh, as well as just general population. So the whole short-term and, and long-term strategy that we have kind of culminates and comes together where both tangents play uh, equal equal roles during that time. And just to be clear, though, so essentially what Kia was doing earlier on was a naming rights sponsorship with not, with not a lot of activation. That's the difference of what you're doing now? Yeah, I, I think what's really interesting, when you look at being channel agnostic, people just think that's the domain of digital and they don't afford that same thinking and same level of strategy to, um, to TV. And what Uber Eats did last year is I think kick the industry in the teeth and say, hey, look, you can actually be creative and get significant cut through and the numbers and the cut through and how they stand up to the, the barbecue test as we like to call it, like the, the actual chatter that generated was testament that you actually can be agnostic and do stuff different in that channel and it's not the domain of a, of a banner or an MREC. Like we actually can have best practice in not a three-second view online, but in a big moment on TV. What's happened to Kia in terms of its brand tracking, reputation? How, how are you getting a sense on the improvements or otherwise? I don't think it'd be going backwards. You wouldn't be here, I don't think, Dean, would you? No, no I wouldn't. Not as, <laughs> not as comfortable anyway. No, yeah, that's right. Um, but I mean, you look at our, our rejection rates. So five years ago when we uh, first started, we were sitting around 50% brand rejection. After the AO in 2019 and a big, really engaging Get Mean Creative campaign, we were down to around 26%. So we're close to halving our brand rejection. And we know we've got a ways to go. And I think I challenge our team to stare it in the face and not be awkward to the fact that, yeah, our brand is our biggest challenge at the moment. And we know that. But in a market that is back 12% in January and we've moved forward 2%, um, and if I was working for a media agency, those would be pretty impressive numbers. So being able to be consistent and have confidence to say, no, we, we, we have a plan. As a business, we've analysed the market. We've gone through some significant brand tracking to identify where the actual clear space is and what we can stand for. And we're not going to impose something on a community and say, this is what Kia as a brand wants to stand for if we don't have the elasticity as a brand to stand in that space. And I think Channel 9 and the Australian Open is our time where we can actually shine and, and tell the maximum amount of people 
with the maximum amount of attention. When you talk about rejection rates, what is a rejection rate? Absolutely will not talk to that brand. I will not look at that brand. I would not consider that brand. So we need to push more people who are rejecting our brand into considering. So when you purchase a car, on average, you're thinking about three different brands, three different models. Uh, we weren't even getting into that consideration. Whereas now we're starting to get in the conversation and I will back uh, our product that once people sit in it, that we can convert them. It's just getting people to think about our brand. Georgia, you've got some interesting numbers or at least achievements with your brand. It's what, three, did you say three years old? When did, when did Uber Eats launch in this market? It's been around for four years in Australia. And your awareness of the brand has, has, has rocketed up to sort of levels of, of, of Macca's, McDonald's. Yeah, it's at about 95% aided awareness. And how did you get there? Is it, is it this sort of stuff plus what else? Before we first launched into, I'd say, like mass above the line brand advertising, we were the number three player in Australia and we were struggling to gain CP in particular markets. Um, Our awareness, our aided awareness was below 40%. And we felt really strongly that we actually had to unlock the business through brand. Um, That was one of our primary levers. And so we've been investing, I would say, fairly significantly in above the line and below the line advertising for about three years. And we have seen that it's obviously accelerated our growth. So our awareness is now at 95%, which is on par with the likes of a Woolworths and McDonald's. And And I call those two brands out because they are in a similar category to us. We're not just food delivery. We are an option for what are you going to eat next? Yes, right. And our consideration is now reaching 50%, which is exceptionally high for a brand that is only three or four years old in most markets in Australia. And Dean talked about the creative aspect of it, and this is something we'll get into now, is you talked about that two-step brand and sort of tactics and performance and also creative and how bigger impact that can happen. We talk about McDonald's. They say 60% of their ROI in uh, their campaigns is attributed to creative. Where do you sit with that even in something like an Uber Eats execution in the tennis I guess, well, the first thing I'll call out is that I don't think that you can have one or the other. I think both are very, very important. So you need to have your acquisition engine running and working and constantly optimising. I think we talk a lot about brand and creative because A, it's what you see and what you feel as a consumer, but B, because I don't think, I think it's actually um, having a bit of a renaissance um, in the market. And and for a long time, it felt like it was being ignored and downplayed um, so that people could focus more on essentially direct response style marketing. Um, but I do think it's really critical you have both. <clears throat> For us, our ambition is to, I think Dean calls it, pass the barbecue test. We we call it, is the creative good enough that people would talk about it in the pub? Um, that's really important when you're a brand that A, is fairly new and so you're trying to accelerate not just awareness but actual salience really quickly. Yes, we may be a big player in the scheme of online online food delivery, but we are a very small part of the overall food mix. So we really have to punch about our weight. That's how we think about it and make sure that everything we do has the potential to really cut through and get people talking. Uh, we want to be the brand that when we bring out a new ad, people say, have you seen the new Uber Eats ad? Like that's quite important to us. It means that there's anticipation behind it. And we do see that there is ROI to that very strong ROI. But again, it can't operate in its own world. It has to live within an ecosystem that equally pushes acquisition very hard. The, the creative aspect of it, Liana, would be music to your ears. It's sort of something that you're all about. Is this what Georgie and, and Dean are talking about? Is that increasingly the conversations you're having with brands and marketers around the creativity? Yeah, absolutely. Georgie is spot on. There is a renaissance uh, in terms of people's belief in the impact and the importance of the creative profile and the creative platform of brands. The reason that it is so important and that creativity, whilst it should be part of a, you know, full funnel marketing mix that includes acquisition, but the reason it should lead and it sits at the top of that funnel in terms of importance is because 
creativity is what sits at the heart of human beings. Advertising is all about entertainment or emotional connection. It's about driving people to think, feel or do something as a result of the message that you have served them you know, without getting too deep, because human beings are emotional creatures, you've got to hit those nerves and those chords. You've got to make them laugh. You've got to make them cry. You've got to make them think something different. Um, and so creative is is absolutely huge. You you cannot and you, and you should not, and it would be money wasted to be um, brutally honest, invest in high-reaching platforms like the Australian Open or Married at First Sight or the NRL if you are not going to deliver a really potent, powerful, creative message because the return on investment multiplier that you get by putting those two things together, reach and creativity, is actually what drives really critical success. So, Dean, in a world where uh, behavioural science and, and, and the science of psychology say emotion is really important, emotion is a very difficult thing for marketers to sell into their businesses, to accept it and to sell up. Why is that, do you think? And is it changing? I think when you look at marketing, it's often seen as a bolt-on and not a necessity. So it's easy to just look at simple metrics like dollar in versus dollar out, when in fact, the way that we look at it, and I'm fortunate that our business is very marketing-minded, that, that our business understands the value of long-term brand building that is underpinned, obviously, by the short-term engine, but you need to have those conversations. We have really open um, dialogues and dynamics around that. Is it easy to measure? Absolutely not. It's the fundamental flaw and challenge of ROI in marketing is trying to determine the brand blocks that we put down now, what are they worth tomorrow, which is really, really hard to do. So it's easy to just do the, um, especially in a sea of sameness that is the auto market where misattribution is so high because everyone is doing the same thing with regards to creative. I think a fantastic story was I've only been in the job for for a year um, and I was three months into the job and I was back home at Easter and my cousin came up to me and he goes, Dean, was a fantastic ad that you did for Stinger with the, you know, with the, the, the dishwasher things, you know, with the car washer things. And I mean, I'm not one to not take credit. So I said, thanks. Um, but in fact, that wasn't even for our company yeah. and that wasn't even for that car. No. So was the it? misattribution is so high because it's a sea of sameness. Yes. And it's, I guess, our passion as a, as a business. And since I guess I've come in and we've worked with our creative agency to undertake this brand piece of work to go, okay, what is the market at a macro level and where is our where is our clear space? And I think that we found it personally, and hopefully that you'll be able to see over the next three to five years a, a coming of age of our brand where we found our distinction um, and we really want to own that uh, that position and be a bit different in market. Georgie, as a Silicon Valley groovy digital tech startup, and groovy. I can't think of any, I can't, I can't, I can't think of anything else, um, any other cliches Paul, Paul, at the moment. Paul, don't say groovy. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's going to stay on for the record in, in the editorial because it'll just show how how groovy you are. How much of a classic <laughs> you are I am. Um, I'm the classics. So, Georgie, inside a, a startup from Silicon Valley, which is very funky, will that do? And considered progressive, how difficult is it to have a creative conversation and push creative concepts even inside a startup like yours? Not super hard. I mean, Uber, um, its heritage is innovation. I think Uber as a company really backs big, bold ideas. And also, I think it's worth noting, we didn't start at Kim Kardashian or at Raf and Adele. The Tonight I'll Be Eating platform has been running for three years and we have gotten bigger and bolder as we've seen success and scaled. And I think that's probably a strong lesson around strong creative A is hard to get to. Just to your, your previous question to Dean, it's, it is actually quite hard to get to. And I, I think there's a lot of discipline. Again, I don't want to blanket the whole industry either, but there's a lot of discipline that's actually required at the briefing stage and being able to unlock really good insights for, our, for your agency partners. 
and I've been guilty of it myself, as a client, you show up naked sometimes to your agency, but briefing is actually probably the most important part of the process. A strong creative idea in and of itself in isolation is not enough. You have to consistently churn out very strong creative. And like that is what actually holds the bar high and delivers strong results over time. Having one strong creative activation or creative idea over over a year or a three-year period isn't really going to give you any long-term impact. And I think that's probably why it's quite hard to consistently get there as a brand. We are lucky that we found our mojo pretty early on in Australia with the Tonight I'll Be Eating platform. And I think it's really allowed to cut our teeth in what we call disruptive and entertaining creative that has allowed us to punch above our weight, especially in this kind of huge food category. Matt, in your conversations, is what Georgie and Ding saying, is it you seeing that reflective more broadly? Is that, is that a broader understanding now and that, that, that creative stuff in the, in the conversations you're having? 100%. I think we're actually starting briefs with a creative first, where to some degree in the past, a traditional brief back from the agency would be, here's a budget. Uh, and we want to we want to look at um, how we might activate that. They're bringing a concept to the table, and I think that's changed our process. And Liana might talk to that in terms of the way our power division, in particular, is able to mirror that uh, and wrap around that. And I think that's exactly where the Uber Eats campaign came from. I think the conversations and relationship we have with Kia and their agencies, and the way we went back and forth to f- refine and finalise that execution across all those assets is indicative of that. We're not just seeing that though in the, in the Australian Open. We're seeing that more broadly. What I would say, though, is the, the exclusivity of the Australian Open and the potency of having that captured audience of tennis all with nine has also been a really powerful platform. And I, I think that's another element that, you know, is sometimes lost here in the fragmented market at times, why that vehicle is so strong for clients like Uber Eats and Kia. You would echo that, Liana? Is that what you're saying with your uh, executions? Yeah, absolutely. I think, look, the reason that, that brands and, and marketers get into sponsorship is because sponsorship fundamentally enables what we call the multiplier effect, meaning that you can get a bigger and better result and you can sell more product as a result of the activation that you undertake than you could if you just ran your regular, if you're an FMCG client, your regular ad that got handed down to you from the UK, the US or Singapore that you dubbed an Aussie accent over the top of in a standard media schedule that includes lots of the daytime movie and Ellen DeGeneres. You know, the the reason that advertisers pay slightly over the odds or a premium investment into sponsorship is because it is led um, by the belief in emotional connection, in creativity, driving that greater impact. And, um, you know, I think Dean's touched on it a little bit, but those, those businesses, those CEOs, CFOs, COOs and CMOs, um, that fundamentally believe that marketing, advertising and media is an investment in business growth and not just a cost of doing business or a sunk cost, those are the ones that succeed because they put bravery and creativity alongside powerful, impactful, high-reaching media at the top of the funnel and then support it with the acquisition engine down the bottom. And then success is kind of inevitable to those players. Dean, you uh, clearly are getting some, landing some points with that with your senior management. They're seeing the link between the activity you're doing in the open and business results. Is there any debate? Yeah, no, absolutely not. And as a business, I mean, we run almost a calendar year every month in the auto industry. So we get the results of the sales from the last month in the couple of days after. So we can see how we're essentially tracking. And I mean, that is one element of it that can you that, that can be tracked when we talk about the short term. Are we retailing? Are we getting, you know, feet into dealerships? But what we see is that ability for the tail to be a lot stronger. So it's not just a hyperglycemic rise a month after. We're actually seeing that consistently rise up and hold for the coming months that follow. 
So I think for us, that's a really good tether to determine. We go hard in January and then we see the benefits of having one of the best months, one of the best weekends that we've had last weekend off the back of that. And that's going to hopefully continue as we top up and tap into our broader marketing mix. That is obviously, the AO is very important, but there's other elements that then feed off that. So how do we feed off the audience that we've primed in January with some clear space throughout the rest of the year and other seasonality um, standpoints without the year. From well, all to wrap up, I'm going to ask all of you what's next. But Dean, starting with you first, one of the topics du jour, which you've all mentioned today, is the, the short, long brand tactics. What's your ratio in terms of what you're putting into brand versus short term? Yeah, that's really hard hard to answer. What, what it is versus what I want it to be is probably different at the moment, to be perfectly frank. I would say we would be striving for the 60-40, but we're not there yet. What are the barriers to getting there? So why do you want to change it now? We're going well. We've grown for the last 60 months. Why are you going to change it? Yeah. That's the barrier right there, plain and simple. But if we keep playing this game, then like I said, when we stop and we hit a challenge, then we're going to fall off the cliff if we don't put the building blocks of brand underneath to almost buffer any challenges and help us grow at 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 a quicker rate. Uh, before I get the what's next, uh, Georgie, uh, ideal, the du jour issue of long and short ratios, where do you sit versus the market? We have a very healthy mix. Um, what I would say is that because we are such a new industry and also a new business, we do have a fair amount of agility baked into the overall percentage. At the moment, we are about 60-40. In favour of brand? Yeah, at any quarter that actually fluctuates. I think um, we are definitely hitting a level of penetration in Australia, which means that our overall mix starts to change. We start to move from acquisition into engagement and that requires a whole new mix altogether, Um, particularly when you are essentially an e-commerce business as we are, a food commerce as we call it. Uh, But I'd say we have a pretty healthy mix and that is a testament to the success that we've had with the AO and other big brand initiatives that we've been up to get there. And when you talk about moving from acquisition to engagement, what does engagement look like for you? I think what it comes down to is like, how do we continue to evolve our product and not just our brand? Probably outpaced many expectations that even we had and and we've gotten to a point of adoption, like to the adoption curve and and a point of maturity very quickly. So now it's about pivoting as to how do we create more incremental value for the customer and keep the flywheel turning pretty quickly. And what's next for Uber Eats for you? Uh, are you back? Will we see you back at the open next year doing something crazy again? Or is this a negotiation that I shouldn't be getting involved in? <laughs> we are in the midst of negotiations, so <laughs> I'm going to hold I'm, firm. <laughs> and I did see the punch in the hand then too. Good luck, Matt, by the um, sounds of it. No, I mean, I think I think there is obviously a lot of value in trying to unlock a long-term brand building, equity building partnership. Um, the Australian Open is very important to us because It is obviously uniquely Australian. It's a very optimistic time of year and it sets the year up well and and it's very well aligned with our strategy and our values as a brand. Matt Granger, what do you see next? What's happening next for Nine and what you're up to in sport? So next for us is NRL and the season's just around the corner. But I think, to be honest with you, right now we're still focusing really on wrapping up the tennis with our partners, understanding what worked and what didn't and learning from that. I think, to Georgie's point, it's around how we connect with them around their results and learn from them. And, and for both Kia and for Uber Eats, who have got partnerships with Tennis Australia, as well as how we bring all those partners together to learn and start to map out what the future might look like. But in terms of from a sport point of view, we've got the Women's T20 World Cup around the corner. We've got the NRL around the corner. So it's uh, another plethora of exciting sport in 2020. Listen to you. You wouldn't be in sales by any chance, would you? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Dean, you're at 19 years. My punt is you're probably going to try and get to 20 at the Australian Open. Is that is that Would that be reasonable? I'll back you in, yeah. What does that look like? What's next for Kia in terms of what you're doing there and uh, for, the, for the coming 12 months? It looks like a pretty tough market all round for auto 
and marketing full stop, right? Yeah, and it makes it even tougher as we look to build our brand, which is our big challenge in market at the moment is investing in the Kia badge, which as a unit we're quite passionate about and we've got our strategies in place. Um, we're launching a new seven-seat Sorrento pool that you would look fabulous in coming <laughs> mid-year um, and then on to the AO. And again, we're going to stick to our strategy of launching a new car. So we've got something in the pipeline for AO 2020 around the launch of a new model, which will kind of complete our SUV range. So the planning, to be honest, has already started. Um, we're already looking at the lessons, I think, while they're fresh from AO um, 2020 to look at 21 um, and how we can be bigger and better um, and take down Uber Eats in uh, 2020. Yes, right. Look forward to getting you back to discuss that. Georgie might have some words to say. I just, just a hunch. Liana, final words from you. Um, what's the next 12 months look like in terms of Nine Powered and what you're doing with your partners? Yeah, sure. So I think the most important thing for Powered over the next 12 months is continuing to close the loop on proof of effectiveness that big ideas that make advertising famous fundamentally deliver you a better result. So we have spent uh, the prior 12 months really building out our effectiveness capability. We have econometricians. units We do. Is yeah. that inside powered? It is inside powered. Right. So we plucked an econometrician from, uh, from Ubiquity some 12 months ago to be able to build out that discipline for us. We work with a number of external parties to make sure that we have enough data inputs to be able to prove attribution beyond the fallacy that is last click attribution. Uh, Extraordinary that it still lives. I, I'd yeah. love to have a conversation on that, but we can't. Keep going. Another day. Yes. Another day. I'll happily join you for coffee. Um, yeah, so the next 12 months is really uh, absolutely fundamentally closing that loop so that any um, CEO, CFO, COO, CMO that is remaining in market that does not fundamentally believe that advertising is an investment in business growth, that we can prove to them fundamentally that it is. And they're believing that so far? We are swaying the crowd. Yes. It's a, it's a long-term brand building it's exercise. It's a long-term brand building exercise yes. towards effectiveness. No, goal, and, yes. and totally necessary. I mean, it's a really important. I think this we've touched on some deep themes that need further exp exploration and it was great to have a couple of marketers here. So thanks to you all for joining. And I definitely am looking at the next Australian Open and we'll have you back and we'll, I want this tussle between Georgie and Dean. I think this I is don't really feel important. It. I do. <laughs> <Good luck. laughs> yes. I do. Yeah. It's because you're at the top at the moment. You're the benchmark, Georgie. Anyway, thanks to you all and safe travels. Thanks, Thank guys. You. Thanks, Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.